Well, let's take the Word of God this evening and turn to the book of Exodus and chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. As we come to a new study, a new series, a new book, uh, it's always, uh, I think the, the first message is always the most challenging one. And um, we're going to begin and read the, uh, the first uh, seven verses, and then uh, I'm going to um, try to uh, capture the uh, main theme of the book of Exodus. Uh, and the theme uh, is uh, basically a, a point of reference as we go and study through the book of Exodus. Uh, again, there's many truths that are found, wonderful truths, in the book of Exodus. But a theme is really capturing the, the message as a whole of the book. And obviously that's often difficult as you think about sometimes people study a book and said, here is a, a key verse for the book of Genesis or Exodus. And so we're going to deal with uh, some uh, introductory uh, comments and truths to consider uh, as we think about the book of Exodus as a whole. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Now if we pause right there, we know how the children of Israel came into Egypt. If you remember, Joseph had, was a governor in Egypt, and when, the, when there was a worldwide famine, uh, his uh, brothers came looking for food and Eventually, we've studied through the book of Genesis, we know that he brought uh, all of his brothers and his father in Egypt, and while they were there, we see here, the Bible says in, at the end of verse 1, every man and his household came with Jacob. And so we know Joseph was already there, but Jacob and all of his family came with them into Egypt. Verse 2 tells us, Reuben, the firstborn, Simeon, Levi, and Judah... Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all of his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. We're going to stop here for just a moment. As we see here, the book of Exodus has been called uh, the book of redemption. The word redeem or redeemed is found ten times uh, throughout the book of Exodus. The word redeemed is Actually, the first time in the Bible that the word redeem is found. Uh, the word exodus means literally to exit or to depart. That, that's what the word means. Uh, this book records basically the departure of the nation of Israel from the land of Egypt. And so Moses, as we think about Moses, he is really, now apart from God, don't understand me that when we think about the Bible, it's about God. But the main human figure in the book of Exodus is Moses, and the name Moses means literally to draw out. Uh, and so we know that he was drawn out uh, of the reed, and we also know that he was the one that uh, brought the children out of Egyptian, or led them out. God brought them out, but he led them out. And so the book of Exodus, as we think about its, 
its role in the whole of Bible prophecy, we know that the book of Exodus is quoted at least 50 times in the New Testament, and there are many references. Uh, but as we think about the book of Exodus, as we think about a general outline of the book, how are we going to progress through uh, this book? Really, we can look at the first 11 chapters, which is a, a documentation or a record of the bondage of the children of Israel in Egypt. Now, when we read, as we read our text this, this evening, we find that they are increasing, they are fruitful in verse 7, uh, they are multiplying, and they waxed exceeding mighty. And the Bible says that the land of Egypt was filled with them. And so they've, uh, they've established a, a great presence in Egypt. And uh, we're going to find in the first chapter, we'll study that next week, that they're going to fall in bondage because of their might, because of their increase. We find that the Egyptian king felt threatened if they went at war with another nation that uh, the children of Israel might turn against them. And uh, I think it's important for us to think about how this book opens because the bondage was a result of them increasing. But we have to establish the reality that if the children of Israel were, did not come under bondage, they probably would not have left the land. Now, if you remember when we see them leaving the land, when they come at a, a point where it seems that there's no return or that they're going to die, do you remember what they keep saying is that you brought us out here to die and we had it a whole lot better in Egypt. Now, I believe that when they say... Uh, they say we had it better in Egypt. I don't think that they're referring to their bondage. I think they're referring to pre-bondage era. That they had it better. They talk about uh, the herbs and the garlic and the honey and all the things that they had in Egypt. And uh, most likely they're referring to their pre-bondage time. Again, it's been 400 years that they've been there. And we think about the first 11 chapters, it documents their bondage, and uh, the, we have the, the 10 plagues that God brings upon the Egyptians. And so that's the first 11 chapters. Then from chapter 12 through chapter 19, we have their exodus out of the land of Egypt. Many wonderful thing, things happen in that exodus. That's eight chapters. Then from, verse, uh, from chapter 20 through chapter 24, uh, you, they, they come to Mount Sinai, and there at Mount Sinai, God reveals Himself, and He gives them the law, and namely the Ten Commandments. So that's uh, chapter 20 through chapter 24, five chapters. But then we come to the end of the book, and really from chapter 25 through chapter 40 is all about the tabernacle. And that takes up 16 chapters. Now, let's think about that for just a moment. The first 11 chapters is their bondage. The next 8 chapters is their exodus. The next 5 chapters is the law. And then the last 16 chapters is the tabernacle. And so as we think about that, as we think about the summary of the book of Exodus, we, we know, we think about the ten plagues, we think about the opening of the Red Sea, uh, we think about all of those miraculous events that took place in the book of Exodus, and they're easy to remember because we, if you grew up in church, you grew up hearing those stories, but the majority of the part of the book of Exodus is dedicated to the tabernacle. And we're going to find that the tabernacle is all about Jesus Christ. 
And so it is fitting. Now, I, I know the whole book is about Jesus Christ, but think about the amount of time that is going to be spent to talk about the intricacies of the tabernacle, of the worship in the tabernacle, to all of the uh, instruments in the tabernacle, and how the service is to be performed, and all of the things that you find connected to the tabernacle. When the children of Israel come out of Egypt, uh, they're going to organize all of the tribes all around the tabernacle. The tabernacle, which represents the presence of God, being the central focus of the children of Israel. And so as we think about the book, it's important for us to see, we will look at their bondage, the first 11 chapters, their exodus, the next eight chapters, the law, five chapters, and then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the tabernacle, all 16 chapters. I would like to make a few statements about the book of Exodus to try to capture the theme as we think about the book of Exodus. As you find your place here in Exodus chapter 1, turn with me if you would to Exodus chapter 19. In Exodus chapter 19, if we look at the timeline of the book of Exodus, we know that they're in bondage. God raises up Moses to bring the children out of Egyptian bondage. Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, it takes ten plagues uh, for God to unleash upon the Egyptians. And we're going to find that each one of those plagues was di directed towards an Egyptian god. And so God is not only going to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage, but at the same time, He's going to defeat the mightiest gods of Egypt. And what I mean gods, I mean they're not real. But He's going to show the Egyptians that their gods have no power. And so He's going to bring them out, and as He brings them out, He's going to do many miracles. He's going to have them set up a memorial so that they would remember how God brought them out and then he's going to bring them to uh, Mount Sinai. And here, this is the scene right before they are going to hear from God in Exodus 19. Notice with me in verse 1 of Exodus 19. And I believe here is the, the theme of the book of Exodus. Notice Exodus 19, 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone, uh, were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and their Israel camped before the mount. And so what we find here is that God brought them, the Bible says, to the desert of Sinai. Now, as we proceed through our study, we're going to look at some maps, and think about uh, some of those movements did not seem logical. But God was doing something uh, through those. But here they're, going, they're in the desert of Sinai, and so they're, they're leaving uh, the plains here where there's been a blessing, where they've multiplied, and now they come to the desert, and notice God does not wait till they get to the promised land to speak to them. He speaks to them in the desert. Verse 3, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, and this is what God is going to tell Moses to tell the children of Israel. Here it is, verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. You see, the uh, verse 4 here of Exodus 19, I believe, captures for us the theme of the book of Exodus, where God says, look at what I've done, you've seen it. 
And really a good way uh, for us to think about how God brought them out, he brought them out uh, on eagle's wings. And the analogy there is quite powerful because we have in our minds now uh, an eagle and how an eagle takes care of its young. And as we think about an eagle, when an eagle has a, a little eaglets, there's the eggs and it's, it's nice and comfortable and it's warm. And then the eggs hatch and the eagle takes care of bringing uh, food right to the eaglets so that they can grow and gain strength. And then when uh, the mother eagle feels or senses or knows uh, that the little eaglets, it's time for them to jump out and to begin to fly, uh, the mother eagle will begin to make things uncomfortable for the little eaglets. She's going to put thorns and thistles. She's going to begin to remove the feathers or the comfort that they've been in out of the nest, which is going to cause the little eaglets to have at some point to jump out of the nest and then when the little eaglet jumps out of the nest, guess what? The first time he doesn't know how to fly. And he, he may attempt to flap his wings. And as he's falling, the eagle's nests are way high in the sky. And so the little eaglet is falling down from the sky. There seems to be no hope. And then the mother eagle comes and she bears the little eaglet on, his, on her wings. And she brings the eaglet back up to the sky. And then she lets him go again. And here he flaps his wings again and he falls and then she comes back down and she swoops down and she bears the little eaglet on her wings again until the little eaglet knows how to fly. It's interesting that it's been documented that not one little eaglet has died from a mother failing to catch her young. And so God uses that analogy and, and think about it for just a moment because when we find the children of Israel, the first words that we read uh, talk about the 12 tribes and talk about how they were increasing and multiplying and growing mighty and were being fruitful. Remember, they were given the best part of the land. And there in that part of the land, they were comfortable. And so God, in His wisdom, He had to bring about an uncomfortable situation he had, if you would, put some thorns and thistles there in the land of Egypt because if he did not do that, they would have never left Egypt. And as they left Egypt, you find them falling and they come to the Red Sea and they, they, it seems that as they're falling, there's no way to go and they're going to die. The sea is in front of them and the Egyptians are behind them and everything is over and all of a sudden God steps in just like an eagle. But why did he do all of that? The Bible tells us, I bear you on eagle's wings, and here it is, and brought you unto myself. What is the book of Exodus all about? Well, it's about the children of Israel being brought unto God. And notice when he says that, they're not in the promised land yet. They're in the desert. And so it's not as much about the promised land as much as it is about God. And Him bringing His people out unto Himself. 
And so we find here uh, this to be the theme of the book of Exodus because the truth here, it is about uh, the children of Israel once again after 400 years being in Egypt, of being comfortable there, of, if you would, being influenced by the Egyptian culture and, if you would, the pagan society that was there. Uh, no wonder when you find them, uh, when uh, Moses, they, they sense that Moses is not going to come back, uh, they bring their gold and their silver and they uh, they they... they they make a golden calf and we think how, how do they think of that I'll tell you how they thought of that because of Egypt they've been in Egypt for 400 years and by the way uh, there was no a cow that just popped out of the fire they fashioned it because they learned how to do that in Egypt and so God had to bring them out of that by making things uncomfortable and then he brought them unto himself. And by the way, it's a wonderful picture of salvation. Salvation is not just the fact that we are saved from sin. It's the fact that God brings us unto himself. Now I want to make some declarative statements about the book of Exodus by way of introduction. As we think about the book of Exodus, it is clear that the book of Exodus is a testimony of fulfilled prophecy. Now, if you go back with me, before we go to the book of Exodus, go back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Now, if you remember, in Genesis 15, God has a promise to Abraham that he would have a son, and, and up to this point, there has been no son. But notice in Genesis chapter 15, if you go with me, let's begin reading in verse... Uh, 13. Now this is when God makes uh, the covenant with Abram and he remember he puts Abram asleep and he walks between the, uh, uh, the, the, the pieces of the animals on each side. And notice after this verse 13 of Exodus 15, and he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed, whose seed? The seed of Abraham shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they, the land in whom they are, the strange land, they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now, you see we are what God tells to Abraham? This is a prophecy about the descendants of Abraham that they would go and dwell in a strange land. And the Bible not only tells us uh, that they would be in a strange land, but it tells us that they would be there for 400 years and that while they were there, they're going to end up serving that nation and then they're going to afflict them. And the Bible says that nation that's, that, 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 that they serve, God will judge that nation. The ten plagues. And then he says, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. That is the book of Exodus. And so the, the, 
the, the, the book of Exodus is a testimony of fulfilled prophecy. Go with me to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, uh, notice here as uh, uh, chapter 12 marks the time when they leave the land of Egypt. Notice Exodus chapter 12. And um, let's uh, look at um, verse 37. So Exodus chapter 12 verse 37 the Bible says, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, and 600,000 on foot and, uh, that were men beside children, and a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. And so we find here that it is fulfilled prophecy. When we think about the book of Exodus, it is summarized when God speaks to Abraham about his covenant and he gives them, if you would, an insight into their future. That they're going to be in a strange land for 400 years and then God will bring them out. By the way, many, many hundreds of years before it happened, and so the book of Exodus is a testimony of fulfilled prophecy. We also know, as I've already mentioned based on the theme, that the book of Exodus is a testimony of the desire of God. Uh, we ask ourselves, as we look throughout the book of Exodus, it is important for us to ask us ourselves certain questions. One of those questions is, what do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about man? What do we learn about human nature? But another question to ask, more importantly, is what do we learn about God? And what we learn about God in the book of Exodus is what we find in Exodus 19.4, that the purpose that he brought them out of Egypt and bare them on eagles' wings is because he wanted them to be with him. And right when he says that, after that, he's going to speak to the children of Israel and he's going to make himself known to them. And so the book of Exodus is a testimony of the desire of God, and the great desire of God is that He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to have communion with us. He uh, wants to make Himself known to us. That's God's great desire. And by the way, that desire has never changed. You see, from the very beginning, even in Genesis chapter 3, we find that when uh, Adam and Eve sinned against God and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God uh, walked in the garden on that day. And what is he looking for? He says to Adam and Eve, where art thou? Now, did God know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. But he wanted to be in fellowship with them. And so God's desire has always been the same. Now, the book of Exodus shows us how that is made possible. And we'll talk about His holiness and how we can have access to God, and we see that in the book of Exodus. We also know, notice that the book of Exodus is a demonstration of the work of God. Now, obviously, the book of Exodus is an, is an exciting book. There are many wonderful things that happen throughout the book of Exodus. 
But the book of Exodus takes us, if you look at the very first chapter, through the last chapter, it takes us basically from groaning, the groaning of the people because of their affliction, to the glory of God. Uh, notice with me in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11. Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh uh, treasure cities, uh, Pithom and Ramses. Notice down verse 14, And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, uh, all of their service wherein they made them serve uh, was with rigor. Uh, if you notice, go to chapter 3. The Bible says, uh, notice in verse 4, Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, uh, he's going to talk to Moses here, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Go down, notice to verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. And so the book of Exodus, notice how it begins. As soon as we read in the opening verses that they grew and multiplied and became mighty in the land of Egypt, mightier than the Egyptians, that God allowed affliction to come upon them. And we read immediately of the hard bondage, the sorrow, and God sees that and He tells Moses, I have seen and I know their sorrows. By the time you reach the very end, the very last chapter, notice Exodus chapter 40. If you turn to the last chapter, notice with me, look at how the book ends. So the book begins in the groaning of the children of Israel. And notice verse 34 of uh, Exodus chapter 40. The Bible says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all of their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys." And so notice what we read in the closing verses. We read about the glory of God. The book begins with the groaning of the children of Israel, and the book ends with the glory of God. And by the way, that's a wonderful tes testimony of salvation. That the life of man begins in groaning, but ends with the glory of God. There's one more thing I'd like to note, so let me uh, reiterate those truths. The book of Exodus is a testimony of fulfilled prophecy. The book of Exodus is a testimony of the desire of God to have fellowship and be in communion with His people. The book of Exodus is a demonstration of the work of God, the great work of God. Uh, he, he is in the business of taking people from being in groaning and in sorrow to being in the place where His glory is. And the last thing we note about the book of Exodus is that the book of Exodus is a declaration of the person and work of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if we think about the Old Testament, 
I cannot think, there might be one, but I cannot think off the top of my head of a, of a better book that testifies of Jesus Christ like the book of Exodus does. Uh, now all of the Bible is about Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about that. But I want you to think about just a moment about all the accounts we find. Uh, certainly all books testify of Christ, but as we think about the amount of witness and the amount of testifying, the amount of things that illustrate or picture Jesus Christ is all throughout and permeates the book of Exodus. When we think about Egypt, Egypt is often an illustration of the world. We think about the bondage in Israel, the bondage of the children of Israel. It is an illustration often of the bondage of sin. The groaning of the children of Israel is an illustration of the, the painfulness and the bondage of sin, which, is, uh, which inevitably brings death in our lives. Moses, we find in the book of Exodus, he is the deliverer that really points us to a greater deliverer, Jesus Christ, who is the one who delivers us from the bondage of sin and death. Even the Passover blood on the doorpost is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us for the remission of our sins. Uh, the departure out of Egypt is an illustration of the truth that we have been delivered from the yoke of bondage that we might live unto God. Uh, the crossing of the Red Sea depicts our union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, they uh, are standing on the one side of the sea, uh, and then they're waiting on the one side. We're going to get there. I was talking to my wife about this this week. Uh, it's interesting that uh, they're standing on the west side of the Red Sea, and the Bible says the wind blew on the east side of the sea. And so understand that when Moses was standing on this side, they didn't see anything happening, but from the other side... Uh, God's hand was involved in opening a pathway and so they're going to go into the water, into death, buried with Him and come out unto a new life. That's a picture of Jesus Christ. The journey through the wilderness illustrates the times of trials and testing. The manna uh, falling from heaven testifies that those who have been redeemed uh, will no longer live by bread alone, but live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The giving of the law uh, to Israel shows us that God desires obedience out of those who He has redeemed. The, even the institution of the tabernacle in the wilderness delivers us uh, into the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. Think about it for just a moment. There is a door outside the tabernacle which is called the gate. It tells us that there is only one way to God. The Bible says Jesus is that door. The brazen altar as you come into the outskirts of the tabernacle, the outer court, the brazen altar tells us that a substitution is necessary to atone for sin. Jesus Christ is that atonement for sin. The laver uh, tells us that purification is needed to enter into the presence of God. Well, we know that we are made pure or purity is attained by the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away all of our sin. The table of the shoe bread tells us that the sustenance that we need uh, is the sustenance we need for God's people. And Jesus Christ, when He came, He says, I am the bread of life. The table of incense tells us that intercession is needed for God's people and that access is granted through Jesus Christ. The veil tells us that there is a separation between God and man. And the fact is we know that Jesus Christ, 
He is our entrance into the presence of God because when He died on the cross, the veil was rent in twain from top to bottom. And so what does the veil represent? It represents here the separation between God and man and that we can have interest into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. The mercy seat tells us that only blood can make an atonement for sins. Jesus Christ offered himself, the Bible says, without spot to God as an atonement for the sin by presenting his blood to the Father, just like the high priest would come once a year and he would offer an atonement for the sins of the people. He would offer the sacrifice on the brazen altar. He would take the blood as he goes through the tabernacle. He would sprinkle blood on his vesture. Uh, and he, if he did not have the blood sprinkled, he could not enter into the holy of holies and then with the blood sprinkled on him he would enter into the holy of holies and then he would uh, pour uh, the blood on the mercy seat which represents Jesus Christ even the priest himself tells us that God must be approached through a representative and Jesus Christ the Bible declares he is our great high priest who ever liveth to make intercession for us you see, we think about the book of Exodus. It is a declaration of the person of Jesus Christ. There is really no uh, other book that I can think of in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that communicates more clearly and that is referred to more often than the book of Exodus as it pertains to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you thought that, hey, we're going to look at an Old Testament book, we should be really spending a lot of time in the New Testament. The truth is we're going to learn much New Testament doctrine rooted in the book of Exodus. Much of New Testament doctrine is built upon the foundation of what is communicated in the book of Exodus. But we have to think about this book, and we try to do often, always, as we uh, listen uh, to the teaching and the preaching of God's Word, we have to ask ourselves this question, what does this do for me? How can I apply this to my life? And there are certainly many lessons that we can uh, gain uh, throughout this book, but the main lesson, as I repeat it, is that God says, you've seen what I've done unto the Egyptians. And how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. So, as we study through this book, I know literally, the book of Exodus is literally what the children of Israel went through in that day. And everything that it tells us is true. Every miracle is literally true. But for us today, what happens, if you would, in the physical sense, also can happen in the spiritual sense in our lives. God wants to take us from groaning to His glory. And that happens... When he brings us unto himself. You see, as we go to the law, we reach the law, we learn something about the holiness of God. And it seems that as we think about the holiness of God, 
man, immediately after Exodus chapter 20, they run away from the voice of God. They, they are made aware of the presence of God and they recognize that, that this is too hard and too difficult for them. And then after the law is given, then he opens the door to the tabernacle. Uh, go with me to Exodus chapter 25. And so from Exodus chapter 25 through the remainder of the chapter, we have the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 25, verse 1 through 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly, with his heart ye shall take my offering. Do you see here what he says? The Lord speaks to Moses and he says, I want you to tell the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it, notice, willingly from his heart. Nobody has to do anything. You want to come to God? You want to establish the tabernacle? You want to uh, see and have communion and fellowship with God? It's going to be willingly and from your heart. It's not forced. It's not imposed on them. Uh, they're, they're, they, they don't have to. It's willingly from the heart. He goes on in verse 3 says, And this is the offering which he shall take of them gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins uh, dyed red and badger skins and chitim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and let them make uh, me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Did you catch that verse 8? Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And so God said, I did this to the Egyptians, I bear you on eagles' wings, and I brought you unto myself. And then he gave them the law. And they recognize that they cannot meet the holiness of God. But then in the institution of the tabernacle, he says, I want you, you, do you want me to dwell with you? Do you want communion and fellowship? Then you must come and bring a willing offering from the heart. And when you do so, to make the sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You see, after all that God has done, it should be the natural response of the children of Israel to say individually in all their homes, hey, let's gather everything we got. Let's get the gold, the silver, the spices. We may not have gold, but we probably have some purple. We probably have some scarlet. We probably have some oil. We have something that we can give to God because of what He's done for us. You see, yes, the tabernacle was uh, God. He, he, he says, this is how you need to make the tabernacle. And there's an important message in everything that you find in the tabernacle. But notice, it was not forced. The children of Israel were asked and say, are you willing from the heart? And by the way, what are you saying here? If it's not from your heart, don't do it. Don't do it. 
But the question is, why wouldn't they want to do it? The tabernacle comes right after they, re- or they recognize that they cannot meet the standard of God. And God says, let me show you. And he gives them the tabernacle, which, I, by the way, all pictures Jesus Christ. And he basically tells them, that's how you can have access to me. Everything from the actions of the priest to the tabernacle to everything inside the tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies would testify of Christ. But you know who made all that possible? The people. They brought their things to God. And God says, this is the basis of communion. By the end of the book, we know in chapter 26, the tabernacle, uh, instructions for the tabernacle. In chapter 25, we have the contributions, willing contribution for verse 1 to verse 9. Then we have the Ark of the Covenant from verse 10 uh, down to verse 22. Then from verse 23 through 30, we have the table of shoe bread. Then we have the golden lampstand from verse 31 to verse 40. And then when we reach chapter 26, Moreover thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of, of, of a cunning work shalt thou make them. And then he gives them all of the length and the breadth and all the things how they're supposed to make the tabernacle. And by the end of the book, God reminds them, we just read in chapter 40, it ends with the glory of God. God reminds the people by making His glory so evident, His presence so evident, that everything stops. The, the cloud in the tabernacle was so dense and so thick that nobody could do anything. And that represents the presence of God. And so we see, we leave the book of Exodus, we leave the books of Exodus with us standing in awe of who God is. In all of what He has done for us. You see, I believe the natural progress in the Christian life ought to be exactly what we find in the book of Exodus. Our lives before we knew the Lord was in groaning and sorrow. And then the Lord stepped in. And as we go through our lives in this journey, uh, the more we learn about God, the more we learn to walk with God in fellowship and be in communion with God, I believe that uh, we ought to get to the place when we get to know God that we are so overwhelmed by His presence that sometimes we just have to pause and say how wonderful He is. Sometimes it is appropriate for us not to do something for God, but for us just to sit back and to admire who God is. The psalmist was talking and he said, I commune with my own heart upon my bed. And he says, and I, I sat still. Sometimes it's important for us to think about how we can just stand still and think about who God is. You remember, we find, we'll find that throughout the book of Exodus. God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to the Red Sea. And uh, the children of Israel, they're all panicking. They think, look at what God has done. And Moses, you brought us out here to die. And so Moses goes to God and he doesn't know what to do. You remember what God told him? To stand 
still and see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, just, you know what? Just sit back. Moses, you don't have to do anything. And by the way, when he put his rod in the water, sometimes we think, oh, when he put his rod in the water, then the power of the rod opened the sea. No, the Bible says it opened from, the wind blew from the east to the west. The sea opened up on the other side. Not the place where Moses put the rod. Why? Because he wanted the people to know it's not about Moses. Moses didn't do anything to bring about that miraculous event. It was the moving of God. And so the children of Israel, it's almost like at that moment, they're standing and they're all, you know, complaining. They're, they're thinking and they're angry with Moses. They're thinking about killing him and stoning him. And then all of a sudden, you see the miraculous opening of the sea. And the only thing they can say is, Wow, what a mighty God we have. They come on the other side. You know what they do? They set up a memorial so that they might remember what God has done. You know what that is? Is We need to remember the day when we were amazed at what God had done. Amazed at what God had done. So let's set up a memorial so that we don't forget how great God is. See, ultimately, I think that's what we forget. We forget how great God is. And so, the book of Exodus is a book, as we see the theme, I brought you unto myself. And so God today is still interested in the same. He wants to bring us unto himself. May we know God as we look through, study through this book. May we know God in a greater way. And may the result of that be that we stand in awe and say, wow, look at how great God is.